turn your Bibles to the 27th chapter of the writings of St. Matthew. 27th chapter of the writings of St. Matthew. The lengthy amount of reading, but I feel it necessary to bring you to the point I'd like to talk about this evening. 38th verse, 38th verse of the 27th chapter of St. Matthew, some old familiar story about what transpired, what happened during the death of Jesus. And we'll start into the 38th verse, should be good enough. Then there were, then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. They that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads. And saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and buildeth it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And I want you to remember that portion of that, that verse. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest, mocking him with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. He be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. You should remember that portion. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, a veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion, they that were, and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that was done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. I'm going to ask Brother Bud, if he would, to stand and ask the blessing on the reading of God's Word and to anoint our minds to the point that we need to grasp tonight. Amen. Question that I would like to ask tonight, and hold it in your heart and mind during this Bible study, is what does it mean? And what did it mean, and what does it mean now for Jesus to be called the Son of God? 
This we must know. As God's people, for Jesus invites us to follow him, and through him we become sons and daughters of God also. I want to break off just a minute and read St. John, the first chapter, 11th and 12th verse. Simply says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of... To find out in the life of our example and our master Jesus what it meant then and what it still means for him to be called the Son of God. Because if we respond to his invitation that he's given us, it simply means unequivocally that his style of life must become ours. I'll go over that again. We are to be sons and daughters of a living God. We are to follow the example of Jesus and we respond to his invitation to become sons and daughters of God. It means that his style of life must become our style of living. And in order to participate in the glory of his kingdom, we have to take on the same lifestyle as he. And that requires four things. Number one, obedience to the Father as he was. Number two, sacrificing ourselves on behalf of others as he did. Not to please him or not to make his life easier, but always he had in mind his fellow man. What could I do to help alleviate the pain, the loneliness, the discouragement of my fellow man? And it eventually cost him his life. I don't know that it's going to eventually cost us our life in the natural, but it is going to cost us death to our flesh and our wants and our desires if we follow and sacrifice even as Jesus did and take up our crosses and deny ourselves first. Again, we won't go over that because I don't think we can go over it too many times. A lot of people simply falter and fall because they have tried to follow Jesus without taking up their cross, or else they've taken up their cross, tried to follow him and failed, simply because first there was not a self-denial. Now those things come in order. In order to follow Jesus, in order to carry a cross that Jesus gives us, there first must be a self-denial. And you remember one thing, when we're following Jesus, we're going somewhere. We're not sitting still. Jesus went to Golgotha, and there he died. That was his death. And Jesus expects us to die out to own fleshly motive and desire. And then he was buried, and he expects us to be buried in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then come his resurrection, and he expects us to rise in the newness of life. And following him, and then on into his precious kingdom. You see, when we're following Jesus, many of us believe that we'll get a cross on our shoulder and we just carry it, and it's so burdensome that Jesus only meant for us to carry that cross until it brought us to our death into our uh, spiritual being, our death to our own desires, our wants, uh, not, not necessarily the needs of ourselves first, but the needs of our fellow man. And as his follows, and he says it so often, but this is just one place where he says that we can expect 
The same persecution and the same tribulation that he experienced. Now, I stop there a lot of times because this grasps hold of me and waves at me and tells me to look at a little closer. Because this is throughout the Bible. The Bible has it almost everywhere that if he suffered, we would have to too. And when I do that, I look at our lives sometimes when persecution comes and when tribulation comes our way and we get so despairing and we get so vexed and the devil comes along and says you don't have anything and we believe him. Rather than looking into the word of God and knowing that if these things come, we must have something or the devil wouldn't bother us with it. You see, that's persecution when our friends persecute us. When our friends mock at us. When our friends leave us and so on. We wonder, are we in the right channel? Well, search the word of God. He says you are. And he says, if you are a son, his son, then if he suffered, then you're not greater than he was. And if you, he had tribulations, you're no greater than he is. And there's trials and troubles in this life that always will be. And Jesus never said they wouldn't be. And he did say, in it all, I will make a way through it. He said, I would help you do it. Now, this is far different from what the Jewish crowd and leaders thought it meant for Jesus to be the Son of God. You can see this every place. And the picture that we're going to paint tonight and to portray for you if we can is far different from the modern view of what it takes for us to become sons and daughters of a living God. I want you to notice, if you can, transport yourself back about 2,000 years ago, possibly, and stand its foot at the cross with those people and listen to them as they taunt Jesus, as they mock him, and listen to what they say. They say, yeah, thou art the Son of God come down from the cross. In other words, they were challenging Jesus to prove that he was the Son of God. And they thought, those passerbyers thought, that being a son meant that he had power to use to whatever advantage it was for him. And they're not the only ones that feel that way. There's a lot of us feel like the power of God has given us for our own advantage. And nothing could be farther from the truth. Yes. It's given to help us and strengthen us, but it is given to the advantage of the kingdom of God. We need to recognize that. And they said, if you are a son of God, prove it. But then we have to prove nothing to a lost and to a dying world other than Christ is alive. We don't have to do or act like they want us to just to prove that we're a child of God. And many people falter and fall. I know one individual where they said, I'll tell you what, if you can speak in those tongues, speak in those tongues. And the individual was prone and prompted to do it. Well, I don't think we ought to. I don't think we have to speak in tongues to prove that God is anything. When the Spirit motivates us and moves us, yes, let's do it. And not to prove God is alive in us just for our own advantage. Just to get somebody to believe we're the Son of God. Friend, it takes more than speaking in tongues to prove to the world that we're the Son of God. That is there initial evidence that the Spirit is there, that there must be some fruits of the Spirit. And when the world sees that, then they'll know if there's stability in a life, if there's power in a life, if there's overcoming grace in a life, if the fruits of the Spirit are present in a life, and then the world can see and know or they may not act like they believe it, but inside they're looking at you. Now they thought that all they had to do was just chide Jesus a little bit and say, now if you're the Son of God, come on down from the cross. 
We know you don't enjoy it there. So come on down from the cross. And how many times have we been mocked and criticized by carrying a load and carrying a burden and denying ourselves some of the pleasures of this life and people look at us and say, I know you're not enjoying this. Why don't you just get on down here with the rest of us and enjoy it? If you really are a child of God, you do this. And what they don't know and what we don't know sometimes is that which we have is not to be used for our own fleshly selfish benefits and desires. The Holy Ghost is never to be used for that. But sad to say, I feel like that we have diminished its power in so much that we feel like that it dwells in there just to satisfy us. Just to be ever present when we pull a string and to make it dance. In other words, just to be something where we just wind it up and here it comes. But the Holy Spirit is far from that. And we misunderstand what it means to be sons and daughters of God. If like Israel rolled in the desert, we cry, give us meat. I, the thing that astonishes you in that, and you're quick brain it, uh, I am, and I'm sure you are at points, uh, you're quick to criticize them and say, but why? They had the bread of life. Everything that was needed to sustain a human body was in that little wafer that God had sent down from heaven. In other words, Israel needed nothing else. Right. They were trying to use their advantage as being God's chosen and saying, but we're tired of this old light bread. We would like to have some meat or some flesh. And gee, and God Almighty saw that that's what they were wanting and he gave them the flesh. Now, a whole lot of God's people are being cited and taunted today and saying, how can you live basically on those rigid laws? Your God is such a sadistic God that he doesn't want you to, to enjoy anything in this world. And our very soul inside is crying, give us pleasure, give us pleasure, give us part of the world. Well, sometimes Jesus just kind of reneges on that for a while, and then after a while, when we become like Israel of old, he'll let us have what pleasure we want. Yes. Amen? Yes. Because there are some right here from, from this church, some are not here, perhaps some of us here, that actually are torn apart inside because they have never really fully committed their lives to God. Uh, crying out for the things of this world that has never at any time brought them anything but anguish and loneliness and hurt and despair. And yet inside there's something that cries out for it. Now Israel of old knew what they left in Egypt and they didn't like it. Onions and garlic and all that. And then they said one time, would to God, we was back in Egypt eating onions and leeks and garlic. Friend, that sounds bad, but what about a child or a son of God that has eaten bread from heaven, that has had the man in his life, that has felt the Holy Spirit of God, that jumped and danced and leaped and spoke in tongues, and yet look at a world that never did anything for them and still desire to have it in their life. And yet there's countless, countless, many, many people that simply have grown cold in God because they have looked back in Egypt because of the trials, the temptations, the troubles that they some way falsely thought wouldn't be there. And yet the Bible's full of it, lest we mind you again, that if he had persecutions and tribulations, the Lord, the servant is not above his Lord, we are bound to have them. 
That is, if we're living a life that would attract the attention of the devil. A lot of us is not living a life that even attracts the attention of the devil. You know what about, about Job? devil come along, Job attracted the devil's attention because he was upright and, and hated and eschewed evil. And he attracted the devil's attention. That's what got him his problem. If he had not been that kind of a man, he would have blended in with the same old world. And he could have been a chameleon that just changes colors and whatever is around him, that's why they're like. But to be a genuine son and daughter of God, we cannot change colors with the surrounding countryside. Amen. We have to be God's sons wherever we're at, whether it's in church, in our home, at our work, or on the streets. Amen. We simply have to be God's sons. Yes. And if we are God's sons, we will suffer. They passed by and said, I know you don't like it there on the cross. Why don't you come down? In other words, inviting Jesus to use what power he had to act on his own. And we do that so often. And when we listen to Satan's suggestions and wish for power to turn stones into bread, there again, Satan come and said, I know you're hungry. You haven't eaten anything for 40 days and 40 nights. And I know you're hungry. Why don't you? You have the power. And he did. You have the power to turn those stones into bread. And Jesus, not willing to use the power by his own advantage, said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You see, he could have. Now, we are displeasing God, and we're, not, uh, we're misunderstanding what it means to be as sons and daughters of God if we ask for special honors. Like James and John's mother said, Grant it, Lord, that one of my sons might sit on the right and one on the left in the kingdom. Selfish desires had we asked from God because we feel like we belong to him, we're his son. And we misunderstand what it means to be a son of the living God when we want a miracle or a cure to relieve our own suffering with the power that God has given us. Whenever we use God's power... And the power God has given us for our own selfish interests and feelings, we are misusing those powers. Of course, there is a world that's lost and dying and undone. And many of us spend time praying and agonizing with God for our own selfish interests. Whenever we're a hundred times better off than that man, woman, boy, or girl that's in the dirt, muck, and mile of sin and despair and needs somebody to pray for them. And we're using what God has given us, our own selfish interest, and we are misusing those powers that God gave us. Now, if Jesus had come down from the cross, he would have been using the powers of God in direct, disobedience to God. He had the choice. The Bible says he could have called 10,000 angels to deliver him from there, but had he done that, he would have been using that power in direct disobedience to God because God had placed him there to suffer, to bleed, and die for the sins of all humanity, yours and mine tonight included. And Jesus hanging on the cross knowing this. I wonder if you can some way transport yourself again to that position. And Jesus hanging on the cross and suffering what we went over Sunday morning and sung about and suffering those agonies and knowing full well 
that at his disposal were legions of angels that could deliver him and yet God's voice ringing in his ear has said you have been sent to deliver humanity from the bondage of sin and you must die in order to do this. But it had to be a, a willing death. Not something that he just had to do but it had to be a willing death and stop there at the cross if you will long enough and say Jesus why are you on the cross? Why are you there? Why are you suffering? And you know his answer would shock us. His answer would be, this is where obedience took me. This is where being obedient to God my Father has took me. Now that's, that's food for thought. Because when we land right smack dab in the middle of problems, of troubles, of anxieties and made a spectacle of in a sense and the world laughs at us stop long enough to ask yourself a question why are you there? Is this where sin has taken you? The devil would like to make you think that. But for the most part almost every time it is where obedience has taken you. Why Jesus suffered every time he was obedient to God's will, there was suffering of this flesh. And every time God is being glorified, flesh is suffering. I might stop here long enough to say that if flesh is not suffering, and it is having its way, and its lust are being fulfilled, then God is not being glorified. Because there is enmity between the flesh and the spirit. And the place will cry and will groan as long as the Spirit is glorifying God. But as far as a man is concerned, living, living without God, the Bible says, though he were a son, this is found in Hebrews 5 and 8, though we, he were a son, yet learned he obedience. Yes. Now how did he learn obedience? You know, all of us say, well, I want to be obedient to God. But now, is not Jesus our example? Did not he say to follow him? And does not the scripture say right here that he learned obedience by the things which he suffered? Now, how in God's name are we going to learn obedience when the flesh is never put down? When it always has its way in our life? And it tells us to keep our mouth shut and we keep it shut. And it tells us not to praise God and we don't praise God. And it tells us to stay home and we stay home. And it tells us to not witness and we don't witness. And the place isn't suffering and the spirit inside is groaning and crying because it needs access. It needs your lips, it needs your mind, it needs your energy. And you becoming a son of God have aligned yourself with Jesus. And said, I'll be like him. Being a son or daughter of God means, oh God help us, accepting the conditions that God has willed and ordained for us in this life. Did you ever ask yourself the question, why am I what I am in the house of God? You know, it, it, it's, it's not, uh, you didn't just stagger into this. It wasn't just happenstance. But there is a reason why you are what you are. And when we would recognize this, 
And we cannot pick and choose what we want to be. I've asked myself the question, why in all my ignorance and unknown condition and, and the uh, inferiority complexes that I suffer with, why am I what I am? It is not my choosing, it is the choosing of the Holy Spirit of God, and because I am a son of God, I have to be obedient to that choosing. You don't necessarily choose a position you have in the church. And you need to ask yourself that question, why are you like you are? And then find out this, perhaps it's because Jesus has called me and I have accepted that condition that God has willed and ordained for me in my life. And I won't fight against it. I will do my best to fulfill it. That's all the way from the menial chores in the house of God and outside the house of God to fulfilling the offices of a deacon or an elder or a bishop or a trustee or a Sunday school teacher or whatever. Yes. Jesus did this, and we have to do likewise. Listen to the Jewish leaders now as they talk about Jesus. Here's what they say. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. And when I look at that, that's another misunderstanding. The Jewish leaders thought that being a son of God meant that we have a task to accomplish, but no direction on how to accomplish it. How foolish the powers of hell is. Hallelujah. We may not fully understand necessarily that God has given us a task and left us instructions on how to complete it. And Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He said, let him come down and we will believe him. I sincerely question this, but so what if you gained the belief of just a few? Of what value would that have been in compared to the thousands and millions that have already died? Those that was living then and you and I today and the thousands will be born maybe before Jesus comes. Of what value is just a few men and their belief in Jesus compared to an eternity? We misunderstand what it means to be a son of God of God when we like the Israelites of old go after other gods. I realize we don't we don't make an idol and we don't make a foolish looking little man and we don't make a golden calf. But there's just a whole lot of things in our life that are idolatrous. When anything in our life becomes more important to us than God, that becomes an idol. Now that's the word of God, that's not my word. And the Bible says, even went so far as to say, except you hate your father and your mother and your brothers and sisters, you cannot be my disciple. That doesn't mean you have to actually... And as we listen to Satan's suggestion made to Jesus and begin to think about falling down and worshiping the powers of hell for the kingdoms of this world. And how many of us, how many people are outside the ark of safety? Perhaps how many of us are here? Some that should be has played footsies with the world and wondered what it would be like to let down the standards and fall down and worship in order to gain popularity, in order to be uh, recognized by the peers, in order to get away the laughter and the poking fun of. Uh, we just sit down and say, all right, I'll keep my mouth shut. If Jesus had to come down from the cross the Jewish leaders would have believed him. 
But the sad part of it is it would have meant making an alliance with them. It would have meant making an alliance with someone other than God. And that would have amounted to disobedience. And being a son and daughter of God means obeying God and God alone. We need to recognize this. That obedience to God and God alone, Jesus did. On every occasion as he walked the shores here as our example. And every occasion he was more than a conqueror. When God spoke, he listened. When God challenged, he took the challenge. When God insisted, he did it. And when the powers that was within him drove him to the Garden of Gethsemane, he stayed there. And when finally they brought out and it took him by sadistic hands and nailed him to the cross, he stayed there. He didn't have to, but he did. Being a son or a daughter of God means waiting for God to act. I think perhaps that's the downfall of millions of Christian people is that we simply are an impatient type of individuals. I have patience, and as one old individual says, I want patience and I want it now. And that's the way we are. This, this is a generation that desires we don't wait for anything. We have to have it. And if it don't show up tomorrow or the next day, then there's something wrong with us or something wrong with God or something didn't happen, right? We don't know what it is to wait for God's will to be fulfilled in our life. And we're tossed like a ship sometimes whenever we're right in the direct will of God. And we have known that we were there because God has told us by His Word and by feelings that devil comes along and says, this wouldn't be happening if you was really where you ought to be, you wouldn't, this wouldn't be in your life if you was doing what you ought to be doing. And he stands around and laughs at us. And all the time it is God's will that we be there, of course there is a lesson to learn and maturing to do in this situation that we would never be able to learn or fulfill without it. There's situations in my life that you never have to undergo because it takes this to mature me. And there's things in your life that I'll never have to undergo because it takes those things to mature you. Yes, yes. And persecutions and tribulations is one of the best ways to mature an individual that I know of. Yes. You find a child and you never give it any responsibility and you pamper and pet it and do everything in the world for it and never allow it to make any decisions or choices on its own and it remains a babe all its life. You take a child and rear it and nurture it and teach it responsibility and let it shoulder that responsibility. Oh, it'll get into some problems? Sure it will. It'll go wayward a little bit? Sure it will. But all this time, if you're where you ought to be in praying mother or father, that, that is where they need to be. This does them good. This matures them. Now they were questioning all the time, uh, as we told you to watch that, if thou be the Son of God, if thou be the Son of God, and all of these things seem to be contingent that Jesus just act right now. And he just do it right now, whether it was God's will or not. But Jesus carefully, methodically, waited for God to act. Now, when we're chided to act by the world to prove who we are, then let's take thumbs down on that. And let's wait for God to do the proving. All right? 
because God will eventually do it. Jesus stayed right where he was supposed to stay. This was necessary. And then, when it came time, God acted. There was an earthquake, and it shook. The veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. And clouds and all of this happened around there, insomuch that the centurion and those that stood by finally jumped out and said, What? Truly, this was the Son of God. You see, God does the proving, we don't. Jesus began his ministry with a very insignificant, disreputable band of twelve disciples. The most unlikely individuals you'd ever see that he's going to build a church and a kingdom with. <laughs> Hallelujah. We've got a message that, that talks about court jesters, clowns in the kingdom of God. And uh, Paul tells us that we are fools for Christ's sake. And this comes from the Greek word jesty, which means court jester. comes from court jester. And it's actually saying you're clowns for Christ's sake. Then it goes on to explain what all a clown does. We're laughed at most unlikely bunch of people that Jesus, uh, that you ever saw in your life. And yet he called them together and told that old Peter, uh, on again, off again Peter, said, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Upon Peter's revelation the church was built. If it had been me, I'd have never tried to build anything on Peter. And if it had been me, I'd never tried to build anything on you. And you wouldn't try to build anything on me. And it's out of our hands. God has placed in the body as it pleased Him. It doesn't have to please me that God placed you in the body of Christ here. And it doesn't have to please you that I'm in there as long as it pleases God. And it does please Him for us to be sons and daughters of God for we travail in birth and pain to be delivered. And we are what we are by the grace of God. And not by choice. The Bible John tells us we're not born by the will of man or the will of flesh. But I'm the will of God. I'm the will of God. That's why you're a child of God. Not because I wanted you to be born, but because God wanted you to be born. That's why you're here. That's why you're saved. That's why He placed you in, in, in this assembly. It's because He wanted you there. And oftentimes we're not careful. We pick and choose. This one would go good in my congregation. I've heard ministers talk like this. I've never really been guilty of that because I figured anybody was as good as I was whenever I came to Christ. Probably better. But I've heard them say, oh, that individual would go good. That They'd fit in my congregation. And then I've heard him say, well, that would never fit. <laughs> my, my board of deacons never stand for that. And on, and on you go. We pick and choose. This one we'll have, that one we won't have. And God reserves that right for Him. Yes. Hallelujah. You're born by the will of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. By His choice, by His will. He looked down and tangled you and said, I want you for my child. Hallelujah. And you're born into the kingdom of God. And He set you there. Amen. And we ought to be careful that no one, nobody in any way influences us to leave it. It's not worth it. You're doing a disservice to God, not to man. He's the one that has chose you there. But there they were, small, insignificant as they were, and yet that was the seed 
have us going to make the kingdom of God grow. Like the plants that don't die, but blossom forth in the spring, like life, divine sonship doesn't die with a loud cry. Jesus cried. He was the divine Son of God. Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. But the sonship didn't die with that loud cry. Hallelujah. Divine sonship blossoms forth in a glorious resurrection. Hallelujah. Oh, you know, friend, you can't bury a Son of God. You can't bury Him and make Him stay in that grave. I'm not going to say we won't die and we will be buried, but sonship is not buried there. Sonship is written, thank God, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, and sonship is not buried in the grave. It is eternal in the heaven, and God wants your name there, and nobody can take it out, and we need to recognize that. And it'll spring forth that day when Jesus, thank God, come with the sound of a trumpet and a loud voice in the Bible says, that dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with Him in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Divine sonship goes on and on and on and on. It's ageless, it's eternal and we have it tonight and we need to hold it tonight and we need to thank God for it tonight. Hallelujah. He chose us. We didn't choose Him. He chose us. And He came to us. Matthew in closing 28 and 6, the two Marys received the message of the ages when they come early hours of the morning. And those who thought that they had... I, I like the centurion's words. Surely this was past tense. <laughs> Surely this was the Son of God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, we know better than that, don't we? Hallelujah. We know that surely this is yes. the Son of God. Hallelujah. And then when you look at precious old saints of God, have been born of water and the Spirit, have lived, have, have, have uh, lived according to the Spirit, have just disdained the pleasures that the world offers, and said we don't want the flesh. Israel got the flesh. And they died with it between their teeth. And friend, let me remind you very soberly that God will give you the pleasures of this world you want. But you'll die with those pleasures sticking between your teeth. And you have the chance for eternal sonship with Almighty God. They came received the message of the ages. When they came and the angel said, He is not here. He is risen. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. That's the message, friend. That's the message 2,000 years ago. And that's the message tonight. That's the same one that hadn't changed. Oh, we've made it a mystery, all right? We've confused the issue and we've divided and separated it in denominations and we put this on our church door and that on our church door and we've separated ourselves from one another. And brother, listen, the message is still the same. Don't tell the people that he's not in the grave anymore and he is alive, thank God. And his word said, because I live, ye shall live also. That's what's going to lift us out of the grave, thank God. It's the spirit which is within us that never dies but come to claim that which has molded in the grave for thousands of years and will still claim it. Makes no difference whether it died in the bed at sea or whether the buzzards eat it or whatever happened to it. The Word of God tells us 
and we will have an immortal body. Hallelujah. Provided us have an omnipresent spirit of God. Sonship lives on. Sonship never dies. Hallelujah. The message is still the same. Go out quickly. That's been 2,000 years ago and I marvel. I marvel at that statement. I stand and look at it. And I wonder what did he mean? What's he saying? What's the hurry? For 2,000 years now, that same message has been ministered. And you know the thing that I find? Is that the urgency is still there. For 2,000 years it's been the same message. Go tell the world. Go tell the world that Muhammad might lie in his grave. Go tell the world that the gods of, of Egypt might, might lie in shadows. You go tell the world that there may be a man that has claimed to be the Christ and he lies molded there. You go tell that to the world, but you tell them. You tell them that Jesus is not there, that he is risen. Thank God ascended into the heavens. And not only has he done that, which I glorify God for, I'm glad he came out of the grave. I'm glad he proved to the, all the world and to the devil that he couldn't hold him there. And I'm glad more than anything else that he said he would come again. I know he's coming in clouds of great glory. And I know he is. And the greatest thing I can rejoice about is that he lives right here in my soul through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm glad he does. And I'm excited about it. I don't want to tell the world that he's still alive he lives and how do you know he lives he lives within my heart hallelujah he walks with me and he talks with me and he communes with me and he directs me and he chastises me and he leads me and he glorifies me and he says you'll blossom forth because sonship don't die hallelujah it's still alive oh I need to quit I ain't not but I need to quit would you worship God with me just for a minute Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. I love you, Jesus. Because without you, I would have no hope. Without you, Master, without you, I'd go to the grave without any hope at all. But you came. You came. And you salvaged. You salvaged from this wreck of humanity. And you filled it with thy presence. And you made it what it is today. And I simply have to believe that if I'm going to identify with you, then I have to obey you. I have to be obedient to Jesus. Hallelujah. His lifestyle has to be mine. And it has to be yours. Now that doesn't mean you have to go to Jerusalem and don a pair of sandals in a robe. That does mean that God required from him a separated life. God required of him compassion and unselfish motivations that desired the power in him to be used to help the bereaved and the lonely and the despairing. And how many of us have used it for our own selfish desires and motivations and used God as a puppet and then they're angry at Him because He didn't play our tune and do our thing for us. Amen. When all the time 
He's only asking us to be obedient to Him. Trials, yes, you'll have them. But they shouldn't get you down. You should look up to heaven and say, Well, Lord, you said if I was a son or daughter, this would happen. And that, that some way just seals that sonship. It ought to in our heart. And the Bible says, Let the heathen rage. Let them imagine vain things. But our God is still in control. One of these days, one of these days, He's going to come. He's going to wrap a white robe of righteousness around you. <laughs> He's going to wipe the tears from your eyes. That tense, stressed look that you've had because of the burdens and the ridicule. He's going to just get that furred brow of yours. He's just going to take the wrinkles out of it. And He's going to throw over the gates of the kingdom and said, Come, you blessed of my Father. Enter in. Hallelujah. Enter in. Hallelujah. All these little things that bother us. I don't think we'll even remember them. And if we do, we wonder how in God's name we ever allowed them to get as big as they were. Right. <laughs> yes, we will. Shall we stand?